Welcome to the Tech.eu podcast. My name is Robin Walters. I am the founding editor of Tech.eu. And you're listening to episode number 81 already of this podcast. Finally, uh, recording again after a few intense weeks traveling across the Nordics, most recently to Tallinn for the Tech Policy Focus Startup Nation Summit, then to Riga for the awesome Digital Freedom Festival, and finally to Helsinki for the equally amazing Slush Conference. So that's uh, a lot of time in the cold regions of Europe for me. Um, in this edition, I'll be talking about a couple of recent news items involving startups raising funding, VC firms doing much of the same, noteworthy moves from tech giants, and interesting research that was presented with regard to the European tech scene. We're also featuring recent interviews with Tommy Palm, a Swedish entrepreneur and game designer well-known for Candy Crush Saga, and now as the CEO of Resolution Games. On top of that, we also interviewed Martin Mignot, He's an investor at Index Ventures, uh, who we saw at Slush, where he presented research that clearly shows that European tech startups are not sharing as much equity with employees as their American counterparts, and why that should change. Uh, Index Ventures is, of course, one of the biggest and most influential VC firms in this part of the world. But then so is London-based Balderton Capital, which has just finished raising its sixth fund. It's a new $375 million vehicle uh, to invest in European tech companies at the Series A stage, as it been doing for a while now. Balderton has already made 10 investments this year through the fund, uh, including mobile gaming firm Mojiworks and gig economy insurance provider Zigo. Uh, also in London, Seedcamp has raised a £41 million fund to continue supporting early stage tech startups from across Europe. At first close, this fund, uh, which is Seedcamp's fourth, is already two times larger than its last investment vehicle, which closed at about €20 million Euros in 2014. Seedcamp's latest fund is backed by 60 corporates, venture capitalists and fund of fund from across the globe. And that brings us to a shout out to Neil Murray, who was previously with Tech.eu and actually hosted this very podcast, uh, but is mostly known for his great work in the Nordics with the Nordic Web. Neil has announced the close of his first fund. It's dubbed the Nordic Web Angel Fund, uh, pretty straightforward, and backed by more than 50 investors and entrepreneurs, uh, many of which have direct relationships with investing in and supporting Nordic tech companies, including the aforementioned Martin Mignot of Index Ventures, who you will hear later in this podcast. Christoph Jans of Point9 Capital and Johan Brandt, who is the CEO of Norwegian gaming company Kahoot. Uh, the size of the new fund was not disclosed, but Neil will be investing in pre-seed companies across the Nordics. And of course, he's gained a lot of local knowledge and an extensive network over the years, so I'm pretty sure he'll do fine. Either way, we'll be watching very closely. But now let's listen to my recent interview with one of those exemplary Nordic entrepreneurs, none other than Swedish gaming vet Tommy Palm. So hey, this is Robin Walters from uh, TechEU, and I'm here in Stockholm, Sweden, and I have the pleasure of sitting down with Tommy Palm, co-founder of uh, Resolution Games, which is a new gaming company. But you've been in the gaming industry for a much, much longer time. Can you briefly elaborate on your background? Yes. Hi, welcome here. Uh, so yeah, I started out uh, back in the 80s, actually, on a hobby level, together with uh, my friend from, from school, Martin, and we started uh, making games for Commodore 64. And it continued to as a hobby until uh, the late 90s when I started my first games company. Then focused a lot on, on making mobile games. And that was way too early. But I, I saw this Nokia 6110 and you could play multiplayer snakes on it. And I, I just got the realization that, you know, soon everybody's going to walk around with a potential game console in their pocket, like a Game Boy, you know, yeah. and that I love. So I just thought this is 
too good of an opportunity to to skip on so I, we started making games but it wasn't until the iphone came along basically until uh, you could actually make money directly from consumers on on, on. so there was almost a 10 year period when when there was a lot of struggling going on yeah and did you have uh, your company was building iphone games when the iphone came out were you early on that train yeah actually so we had won several awards in in uh, mobile game making by that time so apple actually called us when when the app store was launching and wanted us to make games but at that point uh, that company had started transitioning over more to other products which <laughs> where the money was easier so uh, me and one of uh, the guys working there Alexander, we we did it on our spare time instead. So we we actually nice. managed to to get some some iPhone games out, and then uh, me and Alexander started the fabrication games together that we later sold to King. So yep. it all connects yeah. <laughs> in the end. It's, it's been a journey for you. Um, and can you tell us a little bit more about the acquisition? So you sold fabrication games to King, and then you stayed for quite a bit. Uh, yeah, this was quite a long time ago. This was in 2012. We had been uh, working at uh, fabrication games for three years, and we had built a game engine for making cross-platform smartphone games. And um, the first game we started building on there was was called Candy Crush Saga. Um, and, and that turned out really well. <laughs> yeah, uh, who doesn't know that game? Yeah. Right? Um, so that was super exciting journey. A lot of smart people coming together and then working on this concept. I was there for three years and then in the beginning of 2015 started uh, Resolution Games. Right. Right, so you've built like a sort of an empire within King uh, Candy Crush. Uh, obviously, King went public uh, at some point, and now you're here starting from scratch again. Uh, so what is Resolution Games? Um, so we are uh, focusing, we're big believers in, in uh, what is called the visual computing. So uh, in using 3D objects and, and uh, computer graphics overlaid on the on the world or, or we've been releasing game for virtual reality for now but we think you know in the future we'll also see a lot of uh, exciting things happening with augmented reality which are kind of brother sister technologies so um, we're in stockholm we're 25 people we have about two and a half teams uh, and working on two and a half products at the same right. time so we've released our first kind of real game was a fishing game called bait which has more than uh, 2 million downloads. So it makes it one of the, the bigger uh, VR games out there so far. VR is still in very, very early yeah. stage. I was just going to say, like you're kind of anticipating a trend that is still uh, has to happen in a way, because I feel like VR gaming hasn't really broken through yet. Is that a question of the technology not keeping up to date with the content, or is it rather the other way around? It's a, it's a combination uh, of things. It, the hardware is still a little bit uncomfortable and cumbersome, but that will get better and better. Uh, at the same time, uh, making great games takes time. So, so it's better to start early. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, and I mean, uh, once you have a hardware platform, it, it typically takes a couple of years before you see those really great games. So like the engineer in me really likes going into a field early uh, to just try to learn as much as possible to be well positioned when when it suddenly happens. Yeah. We are seeing some very interesting trends now in, in VR with, for instance, inside out tracking, 
where where the cameras are positioned on the headset instead so you don't need to set up external cameras to to look at you which makes the setting up process much simpler and then makes the the systems more mobile so you can easily bring it out this week there was another rumor uh, about apple uh, working on its own ar uh, or vr headset uh, coming out in 2020 which we'll see that that happens well what do you anticipate from apple because you've been working with them uh, for long enough to kind of see the direction that they're going in i assume do you think this is some a field that they will really you know try to break into i think all bigger companies are are spending a lot of research on this field i think we're all seeing uh the potential of the field where where you know information stop going from the tip of your fingers where you have it now you can look you can access the internet from your smartphone from anywhere but it will take you some time to enter it uh to an era where we will have variable technology that can instantly get you that information so you you constantly have access to the data that is interesting to you in any given point right um you are not doing this alone uh, you have some investors uh, that are backing it uh, can you briefly say how much funding you raised and from whom uh, we raised a series a round six million dollars from uh, several different we have uh, google ventures a swedish company called grandum and a swedish company called bonnier and, and the Initial capital, right? Yeah. A couple of interesting investors there. Yeah. Do you anticipate raising more to get more games out of the door, or are you planning to, uh, you know, sustain yourself as long as you can with the money you have raised? Uh, well, I think this is a long-term bet. So, so um, we, we we plan to to be in business for a really long time, and and uh, the market is right now very small. So um, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Good answer. Mm-hmm. Um, very briefly about Sweden or Stockholm as a startup ecosystem. Is it still for you the best place to be uh, right now? Yeah, Stockholm is, is a good scene. There's a lot of engineering talent here. The weather is really bad, so there's plenty of time to sit inside and and work on on game development. And I think uh, that's partially why there's a, a, a great culture of, of game development that people grew up having to to spend time inside playing with their friends instead so so uh, there is a lot of interest and and uh, definitely interesting products coming out you know from, ranging from from the console games to to indie uh, yeah. simpler do you actively participate in the startup scene here by investing and advising and Yes and no. So I did uh, a bit of angel investments before. Uh, right now, I, I, I don't do that anymore because I'm focusing on my startup. But on my spare time, uh, which is limited, I, I do a project called Stugan, which is an incubator in the forest of Sweden. where oh, we, Yeah, we bring people from all over the world to sit uh, and work on their projects two months in the summer. Which is much nicer time to be a Sweden. Than... I can imagine. Yeah. I've never <laughs> yeah. been here in the summer. Yeah. Maybe I should come to Europe. Yeah, you then. should. You should. It's <laughs> it's a perfect weather. You know, it's twenty five degrees. Uh, you can swim in the lakes. Not very many people here. So uh, Sweden is fantastic during that short short period of time. Awesome, great. Well, listen. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck with the resolution, and I'll probably see you at Slush in Helsinki soon. Yes, you will. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you.
And now staying slightly on topic, one of the most exciting things I saw and tested at the Slush Conference last week was a headset from Varjo, which is a much-hyped Finnish virtual reality technology startup that this week announced new funding to the tune of $6.7 million. It's a bit hard to explain without trying it in person, but their technology is super impressive. And at Slush, uh, Varjo also announced that they have sealed uh, a number of new partnerships, including 20th Century Fox, Airbus, Audi, Technicolor, BMW, and Volkswagen. Um, early prototypes of its mixed reality headsets will start shipping by the end of this year already. And I'm pretty confident they're going to make quite of a splash ahead of a commercial launch later in 2018. Now, another startup that grabbed our attention is Doctolib, uh, which is a French-made platform for booking doctor appointments that has recently raised 35 million euros from state-backed investment bank PPI France and Eurasio. The startup has its size fixed on Germany, which it plans to dominate as part of its internationalization strategy. Uh, we'll see if it manages to conquer the German market, but it's setting up an engineering center and planning to hire up to 200 new people. So that's quite the ambitious start. Eventually, Dr. Lip says it aims to build the leading e-health service in Europe. But of course, they have to dominate Germany and France first before heading to the rest of the continent. But keep an eye on them. Very interesting company. And now we don't focus on government policy all that much on this podcast, but sometimes we can't really help ourselves. Uh, the European Union has recently agreed a plan obliging online retailers operating in the region to make electrical goods, concert tickets or cart rental available to all EU consumers, regardless of where they live. Effectively putting an end to the so-called geo-blocking, whereby consumers in one EU country cannot buy a good or service sold online in another, has been quite the priority for the European Union as it tries to create a digital single market with 24 legislative proposals. This agreement also applies to e-commerce websites like uh, Amazon and eBay. Commission Vice President Andres Ansip said in a statement, Quote, with the new rules, Europeans will be able to choose which website they want to buy from without being blocked or rerouted. This will be a reality by Christmas next year, unquote. So that's something to look forward to indeed. Something we also looked forward to was um, research findings from Index Ventures about the state of employee ownerships in startups in Europe, especially compared to the US. Check out our article on TechEU about it. But here's Martin Mignon from Index summarizing the research in a short interview recorded at Slush. This is Robin Walters from TechEU, and I'm here in Helsinki for Slush. And I'm sitting now with Martin Mignot from Index Ventures. I guess I don't have to introduce Index Ventures to this audience, but what brings you here? Well, Slush is one of our favorite conferences in, uh, in Europe. We, know we love, love the energy, love the, the, the Nordic startups that, that come here. And uh, you know, that's the one that where we really you know, send a lot of people and, uh, and spend a lot of time. Yeah. And you're also, you're also here to launch something, uh, actually, that was already released. Uh, some very, very interesting research. Can you elaborate on what you're announcing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so it's a, it's the result of six months of work looking at about 300 companies in Europe and the US, both our portfolio is outside, looking at the cap table and at the option plans and coming up with recommendations for entrepreneurs on how to structure and design their option plans and how, you know, companies compare and countries compare across, it, you know, among each other and, uh, and just, you know, trying to help European entrepreneurs to have a bit of a template and a guide for something that, that can be a bit of a headache in uh, most cases. Yeah. I think one of the most underrated issues, one of the most important issues Europe really needs to solve. Well, what are some of the main findings of the, the research that you thought were interesting? Yeah, there were, there were four kind of main findings which we thought was quite unexpected and uh, interesting. The first one being that there's still a pretty large gap in uh, employee ownership.
between Europe and the U.S. So on average, you know, in the U.S. employees at exit will own about 20% of the, of the companies. In Europe, we work closer to 10%. And also, you know, the, in the, the way that the options are distributed, in Europe, it, it overweights for senior management versus non-senior exec. So it's about two-third, one-third. And again, in the U.S., it's the other around. And the other aspect, obviously, is kind of regulation and, and taxation. But on average, again, on average are a little bit meaningless in Europe because you know, there's a lot of diversity. But on average, I would say people are, are taxed twice as much in Europe uh, than in the U.S. So if you add up all of these elements, obviously it means that options are not such an attractive uh, proposition either for the employee and also you know, for the companies because there's a lot of bureaucracy involved. And that's, a, that's the final point as well, that... The big difference, like the U.S. is quite standardized in terms of amounts, in terms of obviously legislation. In Europe, it's it's a bit of a mess. You know, each country has their own their own kind of framework, and the allocation varies a lot between companies, between countries, between sectors. So it's quite opaque and then helps you where you know what, what and then especially for entrepreneurs, what, what to do. So who do we have to blame for this? Is it the governments and the regulation, or is it the actual entrepreneurs, the, the ones building these companies that are not like willing to share uh, the equity among employees? Are they willing? and they can't or is there a cultural issue what do you think I think it's it's a bit of a, it's a bit of everything uh, I, I would say the tax system and the regulation is probably the biggest barrier and I think that's one that, that should be addressed first hopefully because if you make it very unattractive then obviously entrepreneurs have zero incentive and employees won't care so I mean that can, you know, unless that's solved then there isn't really that much you can do and then after that obviously yes I think you know entrepreneurs have to realize that you know talent is critical in, in uh, you know in building very large organizations and, and, and winning against competition and that's their weapon as a startup to attract good people is options because you know they can't compete on cash compensation versus Google and Facebook obviously but they can compete on value creation and I think that's that's a critical instrument and, and I think they have to be more aggressive more generous I think for us as well as investors it's, you know, it's important not to try to over-optimize in the short term in our kind of ownership but also to realize that you know it is a long, it's going to take a long time and you will need to bring on board senior folks and, and capable people who will have alternatives to go work for other type of organizations right. and you need to incentivize them to join you as a small company. Absolutely. And long term, I think also if you let employees share the equity and share the wealth in the event of a liquidity, then it also breeds ecosystems because these people usually go on to make maybe small investments, start their own companies. Uh, so very, very critical. I agree. Yeah, Something else. Say, just just on, that, on that point, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's absolutely true. And, and you know, we've seen that, for example, with Criteo. Criteo is a really good example where I think that they're, like, everyone had options in a company and at the day of exit they, they, they created more than 50 millionaires on the day of exit and obviously you know it's still still you know increase in value and we see a lot of them now in you know investing and restarting company you know we just invested in uh, Jean-Baptiste Rodel's new company as well uh, but it's not only the CEO it's also the senior management team and also just uh, you know the oh, uh, kind of employees the Criteo Mafia so we need more mafias in yeah. Europe I guess. Uh, absolutely <laughs> uh, so we're here in uh, Helsinki uh, you spent at Index a lot of your time looking Looking at the Nordics, um, what's the status? Like, well, uh, what? Where are we? I think, you know, historically, it's been for us, it's been our best performing region. Uh, you know, I think that, that's the largest part of our returns, you know, has come from, from here. And which is quite remarkable when you look at the size, you know, the relative size of the of the, of the the ecosystem. I think in recent years, it's been, you know, pretty slowing down a little bit, I would say. I guess a big part is just that there are already a lot of large companies who are attracting a lot of talent. Um, you know, whether it's Spotify or Klarna or Izettel or King or Supercell. I mean, so that, they're that's, kind of sucking the air out of the, out of the, I mean, the there's, room. I mean, there's a little bit of 
of that, I think you know, I think the Spotify IPO will be a you know a, a great uh, you know great catalyst, uh, especially for Stockholm. But I think you know, overall, we do spend a lot of time here because there there may be a bit less deal flow than say you know in France or Germany. But usually, these companies are kind of global from the get go, and historically, because of that, they've created larger outcomes. I think for a venture you know capitalist that that you know thrives on very large outcomes, it's quite the the perfect region. Right. Is it just Stockholm and Helsinki, or do you also look at the Iceland and Oslo and Tallinn, maybe? No, we yeah we look you know, we, we we go everywhere. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a lot of travel, which is one of the challenges, right? It's quite a fragmented uh, ecosystem. Um, but no, we spend a lot of time in Copenhagen and Stockholm and Helsinki. Those are kind of the three main hubs, and then uh, you know, at least once or twice a year we would go to the Baltics and uh, and Norway and Iceland. I think we're thinking of uh, actually you know, organizing an event there. You know, we've got an Icelandic uh, principal at Index, so you know it's uh, we we actually just uh, led a seed round there uh, this year. So no, we're all looking at Iceland. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a small country, but, okay. but there are some interesting talent there. Yeah. So listen, Martin, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I think really good uh, research that you've done uh, with Index. Uh, I think very necessary to kind of serve as a wake-up call, hopefully. And yeah, enjoy your time at Slush. Well, thank you very much. And hopefully that research will be uh, helpful to entrepreneurs. And now for some interesting news from European tech giants Spotify and Yandex. The latter, a Russian internet conglomerate, has received an approval in its home country to merge its taxi-hailing business with Uber from the local anti-monopoly authority. Um, as part of the deal, which was announced back in July, Uber and Yandex are to invest uh, $225 million and $100 million, respectively, in the new entity, um, thus valuing it at about $3.7 billion on a post-money basis. Uber will also contribute its Uber Eats business in the region to the new company, which will cover more than 100 cities across Russia. So now that they have the approval, we'll see how the deal pans out. Uh, Spotify, meanwhile, is reportedly in talks to the music group of China's Tencent Holdings to effectively swap stakes of up to 10% in each other's businesses ahead of their expected public listings next year. The deal would align the two services in future licensing negotiations with major music labels, the Wall Street Journal reported. All right, dear listener, that's it for this episode. Really hope you enjoyed it. We're always happy to receive feedback or suggestions for topics or people you should interview for this podcast, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can do so on iTunes or SoundCloud. And you can also follow Tech.eu on Twitter. We're at Tech underscore U on Facebook and LinkedIn. Keep listening. Tell your friends. Until next time. This is Robin Waters. Check me out.